Some of our uh, years in our personal lives are better than others. And the same is true in our nation as well. Some years are better than others. And some 51 years ago, in 1968, was not a great year for our country. In January, the USS Pueblo, an intelligence gathering uh, ship, Navy ship, was captured by the North Koreans. And uh, that news came on January 28th. On January 30th, there was a big change in the Vietnam conflict. In that war, some of you have heard of the Tet Offensive that happened. The Vietnamese attacked and uh, the Lunar New Year, and it was an attack on a broad front that became a turning point for the United States in that war. On March 16th, Robert Kennedy decided to run for president. The challenge uh, was that the person in the White House was a member of the same party. And so his name was Lyndon Johnson. On March 31st, Lyndon Johnson went on television to say that he would not run. Four days later, on April the 4th, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in Memphis. Three weeks later, on April the 23rd, uh, it was... It was, he was assassinated on April 23rd. And so on, eight, on later, uh, in April, some students in Columbia University uh, started to protest against the war, and that spread literally around the world. Six weeks later, Robert Kennedy, he was assassinated in a hotel in California after he won the California primary. Two months after that, the Democratic National Convention happened in Chicago, and there were riots in Grant Park. There was a lot of things that year, not a lot of good things to report. But there was something very obscure. On February the 19th, of 1968 in a public television studio, WQED in Pittsburgh. There was a 40-year-old Presbyterian minister and educator. He stepped onto a set, took off his sport coat, reached in the closet, got out a sweater. Then he sat down and took off his dress shoes and he put on his tennis shoes And that day, the nation met the genius who was Fred McFeely Rogers. Rogers created this program uh, called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and it was for two to five-year-olds, and it was appropriate for all ages. He created sets, and so there was a real-world side And then there was a make-believe side. There was one value over and over and over. He had one value, and it was that word, the value 
of every person. One single question kept him focused. And we heard it in the song, Please Won't You Be My Neighbor. We are looking at how God has commanded us to love him with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke's Gospel and where the Lord, and it will be right there in the uh, 14th chapter of Luke. Now, you have to know a little bit about the context. The story is told of Jesus on the Sabbath day has healed a man. Now, you know, this is the Jesus who lays down uh, on the tracks of truth and he heals this man. And the challenges of these religious types of people, they were not happy about this. Uh, this is it, and they asked this question, is it lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath? What, what do you think? And then, then they have a dinner together and he, he tells at the dinner, he tells two meal stories while they're having dinner. So they're at dinner telling a story about dinner and then another story about dinner. We've got dinner all over the place here in this story. And the first one, he talks about a dinner banquet. He said, do not invite all of the, your, just your friends and your relatives and your rich neighbors, but invite, uh, invite people that can't repay you. When you have a big old party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And then he kind of ends, uh, he says, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So he finishes that first story, and one of the people say, yeah, that person will be repaid at the re resurrection of the righteous because he had said, you know, invite people uh, who can't repay you. And it's like Jesus was saying, let me tell you about that dinner. So in Luke 14, 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus keeps talking and he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. The party is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And then another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go to examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You see these three excuses. I got business to take care of. I got personal conflicts with my family. I got to go check out the stuff that I own. 
I mean, part of me says, you bought five oxen and you didn't check them out? What, what is that? Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's a lot of room left. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The basic message of the peril of this great banquet could be stated this way. He came to his own, and his own received him not. The blessings of the kingdom are available to all who come to Christ by faith. When you read this, you realize what Hosea was saying in the Old Testament when he said in Hosea 2.23, I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Jesus is saying, please won't you be my neighbor. Come to my territory. Come into my house. The listeners of this story have to be saying, what, where, how, why, when, what in the world? What are you saying? Why the story of a meal here? He's sitting at a table, and he's sitting at a table, and I want you to take note of what he's doing here. He's sitting at a table. Isn't this something familiar for all of us? Isn't this what humans do? They sit at the table and they eat. Uh, Many of us are great at some things. And I confess, I'm, I'm not great at a lot of things, but there's one thing that I'm really good at, eating. I don't know if I'm gifted at it or not, but And it's something that this story reminds me. That's the one thing that 7.8 billion people have in common. We all eat, and normally in groups. It's kind of a vital social connection. That when we get together, food, I love it. I'm telling you. I've even, honestly, I want to just tell you something I had. I've had this thought for years. I've thought about making a cookbook. That may kind of surprise you. Like, Johnny, you ought to work on some other books. Yeah. I've had a couple ideas for books, but one of them is cookbook. You know why? I have met in my life, Sherry and I, have met so many tremendous, wonderful people. And they are, go back to things that they've given us recipes for. And we've, taught, we've been taught a lot of valuable lessons about marriage, about parenting, about life in general through these people. And so many times, it's Juanita Stout's pepperoni rolls. 
It's all these people that are in our past that we think about. And whenever you think about food, eating is natural. It's sort of a rhythm. They say armies march on their stomach. So when you read God's grand story in scriptures, it's full of lessons around food. It all started all the way back in Genesis 1, verse 29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. Now, I love this because it's a reminder to all of us today that it's better to eat from a plant than something from in a plant. It's better to us to eat the plants and vegetables, all right? I don't know if you got that or not, but that's the truth. But some of you are like, where's the beef? Well, turn to Genesis 9-3. For you protein lovers like me, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. You read Adam and Eve and you have this fruit from, you, you can eat anything except from one. And that didn't work. Cain and Abel sort of had an original food fight. That was awful. You've got Abraham who entertains visitors. You've got Joseph in Egypt with his brothers and this whole famine and all that's about food. You've got Moses and the Israelites who on their journey to the promised land, uh, they, they're looking back at Egypt and saying, boy, I, we, we, all, we just have the food back in Egypt. And then God supplied food for them all through the Bible. We get it. Even when you think about Jesus and his ministry, even in these stories, you say, all right already, we get it. Okay, food, big, big in the scripture. But Jesus, his first miracle was at a, was at a wedding feast, at a big wedding feast. You get the feeding of the multitudes that Jesus did. Jesus describing himself in food language when he said, I am the bread of life. He said that. And finally, in Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The wedding feast, the end, is a glorious celebration of all those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about neighboring, and when we talk about our neighbors and bringing people to our table, that is a profound thing and i'd like to make an observation here because increasingly i know that i use the word old school you know i use it around my kids i use it around other people i'm starting to add a little thing so old school uh, a little bit to a lot of people i'm a class of 82 bro you know what i'm saying i'm i'm old school but i i just think that to say uh, that you're sharing your table is always with the times. Nobody says that, oh, meals and food, that's so old school, man. We're not into that anymore. We're not into food anymore. Having dinners together, who does that? Oh, man. 
It's in. It's in. I love it that God is saying this image, what image can I embed in my people so that generations will never forget my message in the heart of who I am? I want you to know that. I think God is saying, what image can I embed in these people who I've called by my name and who will call me by my name, call themselves by my name? What image can I embed so that the generations will never forget my message or my heart? And food is a gift from my person to yours. The point is, that we think that it's about food. When we think about food, it's really instinctive. And just, it's just who we are. It's, it's, it's what we're about. Uh, it's what we think about. If I think about a certain smell, I can think about my mom. I can remember growing up and her making, and Dr. Glad may have to cover his ears for this one right here, all right? He may not like this one. Man, my mom making fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and gravy. She would make green beans. She would make homemade bread. She would do things. She would make gobs of stuff. She'd make homemade cornbread. I can remember my mom making baked steak. And I remember my mom made a lot of different things when I was growing up. And just, man, sometimes when I would smell that, it would just be, there would just be something so instinctive, just the reminders, all that stuff. It's kind of make me think about, you know, who she is. Can I get an amen in the congregation this morning from something like that? I remember my mom used to make biscuits and then she would, she would take ham Kentucky ham, and she would put it on there, and she would make that for us, and I can remember that. It's just, there's something about that that's inside of me, and, and even tonight is one of those moments for us, and what we're doing in raising our kids here, there's just something about when you walk in, you walk near the building, you, you're going to smell. You can smell the fire a little bit. You, you, you smell that. And you, you walk on in, you can smell that, the hog roast. And you can smell that. And you, then you, you can smell that chili cooking on an open fire. And, and as you come in, all that stuff sort of just is instinctive. It just brings you back to all these memories. And we're creating these memories you're smelling hot cocoa and the smells as you walk around. As Peter experienced that breakfast with Jesus, could Peter ever eat fire-roasted fish again in his entire existence without thinking of the morning at the beach with Jesus? There was just something about that. And here's what this fancy word that we're doing tonight together even or that you do at your house with your family, the richness, the soulishness of this for us as families and as a people. When you think about that, that word is called hospitality. It's setting at the table. Titus says something very interesting in Titus chapter 1, verse 7. 
Listen to this. Paul is saying this, and he says it this way to Titus. Since an overseer manages God's household. Oh, yeah, here we go. Some instruction for church leaders. Okay, perk up, listen up. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. He must be hospitable. I read that, I thought. That's the guidelines for being a leader in the church? Here's what he's saying. What is the hospitality? Why why is this so important? You see, folks, it's not about cookies and coffee. It's about being hospitable. It's, it's even tonight. I mean, there's a lot of people that sacrifice to make this food. There's a lot of people that come in early to make all this happen and everything. But really, it, it, it's, it's about us investing our lives with each other. It's about us being hospitable. It's about us having this experience together. Hospitality, by definition, is the one who is given to be generous, welcoming, and cordial, uh, receptive to visitors, guests, or strangers, strangers. In fact, the word hospitable from the original language would just be kindness to strangers. This is how Jesus says it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, I love this part. Because Jesus is inviting him to us, to himself. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I am knocking. And he said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. I'll eat with that person and they with me. He doesn't come in and say, come in and I'll improve your attitude or I'll adjust thinking, I'll give you power. He says, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. And you with me. He invites us in this relationship of investing. He doesn't come in and say, you know, I'll just do these other things. This is very important. He gave this as a directive because he says, that's what my kingdom is about. It's about the kind of life sharing. It's the really it's the ingesting of my life food is not just a temporal thing there is something food in the hands of a believer it's an eternal thing in some ways and it's quite very very simple it's an invitation to your table can become the hope of glory and so, as you experience your life, and you think about being a neighbor, there's this one thing, food. 
I know that even today, people can have an unhealthy attitude towards food. Food can be a temptation to some people. But food is universal. And I want us to be a people that are seeing what Jesus is saying about sharing our lives. Dan Allender says this better than I could ever do. And I believe it's in his book, Intimate Allies. And one of the things he says, he commands families. He tells families, he says, now look, quit just eating fast food. Turn off the TV. Sit around a table. Talk to each other. I hope for you that you'll see that God used something very temporal to teach us the eternal. And I pray today that we would learn that lesson. That it's not really about the food. It's about us living our lives together, listening, sharing, ingesting each other's life, and learning how to love one another. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for taking something so natural, so everyday and ordinary, and just giving us this doorway to the extraordinary. Lord, this is a doorway to the supernatural of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for showing us that and showing us yourself. We love you, Lord. We're thankful. Lord, we're thankful today for being able to eat together tonight. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are ingesting and sharing our lives with one another in richer ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as you leave today, I want to give you a challenge for today. How many people here have ever eaten a Chick-fil-A? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got some murmuring going on. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. You like it? You like that? Well, there's a guy named, and you probably know this, Truett Cathy, who started this whole thing. And I, I, uh, he, he had this key passage in his life, Proverbs 22, verse 1 where he said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. He, it was sort of a life thing for him. And for a corporate Chick-fil-A, if you wonder why you love it so much, not only the chicken's good and the food's good, all that, but it's about the experience. And if you wonder why you always love the experience of Chick-fil-A, this is why. The corporate purpose for Chick-fil-A is this, twofold, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, and secondly, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That's their purpose. Now listen, I want you to know, our passion here at our church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what our purpose is. We have a high purpose but if you want to know why you always have a great relationship when you go, is because the people that work there know why they are there. This is why you are here. This is why we come together. This is what God was doing when he created this church in 1885.
So it's important. So uh, our staff got together. We get together with these staff days away. And I asked a guy named Jeff Hoffman. Now, Jeff Hoffman started the Chick-fil-A over in Fort Wayne um, a lot of years ago. Probably 15 years ago, he did the one in Jefferson Point. Well, he's the one got built. He sold that one and built the one over on a Coliseum. And he just opened up this past year. So I asked him to come to our staff. I've known Jeff for a long time. And uh, he came to our staff. And we were also curious, how is it that you people are so nice? How do you get the 17-year-old to be nice to all the people? How is it? And how do you have so many people working for you? I go to other restaurants, they seems like you, could, you can't find anybody that works there. How do you do this? So he told us. He says, it's very, we, we live by the, four, the core four. And that's this. We make eye contact with every person who comes in. He even pointed to his eyes. You make eye contact. People are important. What that says when you make eye contact is what you're saying is important and you are valuable. Then he pointed to his mouth and he said, it's important for you to share a smile. Share a smile with somebody else. Then he pointed to his throat and he said this, speak enthusiastically. Don't move no more this. Hey, how you doing? Speak enthusiastically. Speak and give value to the other person. Then he said something very important, and he went like this. He said, connect to their heart. Value them as a person. Connect to them and try to value them and speak kind words and make a connection with them in some way. You don't go to Chick-fil-A because of the chicken. You normally go there because of the experience that you're having. I want to remind us today, as we have people, I just want to say one thing. I know I'm a little over. Just give me just a second here about this. Tonight is great. I know the weather could be better and all that kind of stuff. It'll be great for us to be together. It's important for us to remember this tonight that we make eye contact, that we smile to people, that we speak to them and give value to them, and that we make some kind of connection. Remember we talked about this last week, F-R-O-M? Talk to them about the family, what they do to have fun, O for occupation, all that kind of stuff. And I love what we do tonight. This is great, but Fall Fest is not our biggest outreach event. Our biggest outreach event happens all year long. Every day of every week. We're going to get together for three hours tonight. It's going to be great. And hopefully God will produce fruit because people have been praying for this. But we need to remember this as we get together from week to week. Or when we invite our friends, whether it be to Christmas or whether it is to be the future for Summer Blast. Whatever it is, we've got to continue in this mode of being good neighbors. So tonight... Remember that, all right, as we try to reach out to our neighbors.